0: Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin and Global Finance podcast with me, Jason Dean, in partnership with Luno Wallet and Exchange and Siberian Mine. Here we talk about all things Bitcoin and all things financial and try and make some sense of them. It has been a big gap since my last podcast, a whole month, can you believe that? And a month in the crypto world is a very long time, so we have plenty to talk about. But today I'm gonna focus on what's been going on in El Salvador, because it really is very exciting stuff and some of the implications are pretty incredible. So I'm gonna break that down for you today. But before we get started, I just want to acknowledge Luno's support and helping make this podcast possible. Luno is one of the world's leading cryptocurrency wallets and exchanges trusted by over 7 million customers in 40 countries and it's no secret if you follow me on twitter medium or linkedin that i've been recommending luno for a long time And I love recommending Luno, especially for people who are new to the world of cryptocurrency because it's very pretty, it's very intuitive and it's an easy and secure way to buy, exchange or hold Bitcoin and a few other cryptos as well. So if you haven't used Luno or even Bitcoin before, simply go to luno.com for the details or download the app. That's Luno, L-U-N-O on your Android or Apple device. And if you do that, and you're over 18, and based in the UK, Europe, and this is your first experience with Luno, I'm going to give you 10 pounds of Bitcoin, courtesy of Luno, absolutely free to get you started on the app. And the way that I'll be doing that is by giving you a code at the end of this podcast, which will credit your account instantly. Secondly, as many of you know, I'm a veteran Bitcoin miner. I've got an operation that runs entirely on excess renewable energy over in Siberia and of course this has the added advantage of being very cheap. Now I've been doing a lot of podcasts and interviews about Bitcoin and the environment recently and people have been asking me how to get into sustainable Bitcoin mining because it all seems so complicated. But actually it's very easy to reap the rewards of mining these days and of course it's especially profitable at the moment. So I'm pleased to say that in in partnership with Siberia mine I am now able to offer a very attractive referral arrangement that you can take advantage of here and now if you want. And the really cool thing is that they're doing a split ownership system on mining equipment at the moment, which is designed so you can test out mining and actually be a miner for very, very small amount of money, just to understand how it all works. And actually, if you register using the link in the program notes, you'll get 45 euros added to your account at the start, which is not far off getting you started on one of these little partial ownership test machines the link and details are in the program notes and all you do is sign up for an account to start with which is where the link will take you to and you can spend some time getting to know what the setup is before you decide to jump in any further but in any case let's get stuck into today's topic and it is a cracker if you haven't heard about this where have you been and if you have you probably want to break down on what this actually all means so let's get stuck in and talk about El Salvador <music> Now, if you've been following me on Twitter, you probably already learned that I couldn't go to Miami's Bitcoin conference this year because, well, basically post-COVID-19 travel restrictions from the UK meant it just got way too complicated. So like thousands of others, I just had to settle with the live streams instead, which, you know, if truth be told, didn't exactly succeed in reducing my desire to be there. In fact, it probably had the opposite effect. Now, on the Saturday... There were some rumors going around, there was, some, there was a big heads up given by various heavyweight Bitcoiners that something big was coming. So my other half and I watched Zap founder Jack Muller's emotional speech live as it unfolded. Now the tears from Jack I could tell were entirely genuine and actually I have to be honest and say that we found ourselves in the same state. You see for years I've been writing about how Bitcoin can change the world for people who have almost no chance otherwise of getting out of their situation. Suddenly, and in fact very suddenly, this was actually happening in front of my eyes. Bitcoin is something I genuinely believe the world needs to be able to start the next stage of human development. It's also something I intend to do more of personally in the future, i.e. helping people who want that help with Bitcoin. The bottom line was that thanks to Malla's admirable efforts in the country in the preceding months, El Salvador had announced that they were adopting Bitcoin as a national currency. Hurrah! Within just four days, the bill was presented and passed in government. It's official. By around September the 8th, 2021, merchants will be required to accept Bitcoin for all goods and services throughout the country. In fact, just hours later, Wikipedia and Google Maps were updated to reflect the change. Now, those of us who have been in the Bitcoin space for some time knew this day was coming. We also knew that the first mover was most likely to be either a pariah state giving two fingers to the dollar, a hyperinflating economy trying to save themselves from ruin, or a simple emerging economy that was forward-looking enough to take the chance. El Salvador slips, mostly anyway, into the latter category. But I have to be honest, I didn't have this on my shortlist. In retrospect, however, it now seems like an obvious, if not perfect, choice. So what does this law say and what does it really mean for the citizens of El Salvador and the future of Bitcoin? Well, let's have a look. Now, the first thing to note is in countries like the US and the UK, we're used to laws taking months or even years to pass. And then when they do eventually go into effect, they're like extremely complex telephone directory length documents requiring numerous iterations to get exactly right. But President Naib Bukele's law was just three A4 pages written in plain language and it passed with 64 votes out of a possible 82. Now that's more than enough to do the job. And it was actually greeted with a great applause in the official chambers. That whole process only took four days. Now the law is very simple, but it makes fascinating reading and it contains several key statements. The first one is that prices should be expressed in Bitcoin, or can be expressed in Bitcoin. Of course, this may not be so straightforward to implement given the fluctuations in both the price of Bitcoin and the US exchange rate, so this will take some getting used to in the short term, both in terms of interpreting and presenting. El Salvador had no national currency of its own prior to this, having switched to US dollars for trade both within the borders and outside them in 2001 from the sovereign colonne that preceded it. Interestingly, I understand that colonne are also still, well, just technically legal tender, but they are not used in practice. Second, it's important to note that taxes can also be paid in Bitcoin. Now, this effectively reinforces the state's assertion that Bitcoin is truly a national currency. Now, since Bitcoin is treated as a currency within the border, it can't be liable for the capital gains tax that other countries have imposed, where, generally speaking, it's treated as an asset with taxable gains. So while this might seem an obvious point in many ways, it remains another state-level endorsement. But then Article 6 explains that accounting for these transactions will remain in the US dollar, though it's not yet clear what approach will be taken here. This makes sense for what may well turn out to be a transitional period of moving between currencies. Should Bitcoin's state-level adoption continue throughout the world, for example, there may come a time when this article is no longer needed. And that is quite a thought in itself. The last few sections of the law shed some light on what this actually means on the ground and in real terms. Essentially, all merchants for all goods and services are obliged to accept Bitcoin at point of sale if that is indeed what the customer wishes to pay. And that must be in place by the time the law is enacted in September 2021. However, they are also able to opt out if they don't have the facilities to manage it and then they can convert it straight to the US dollar if they wish using a government scheme designed for that purpose. So in other words, you end up in a situation where both the retailer And the customer can choose which currency they want to pay in or which currency they want to receive the money in and they don't even need to agree and the system will still work. It's a very, very cool setup. It does seem like they have thought of everything and they've done it in just a few hundred words. It is impressive, but the more you look into this, the wider ranging the implications become. Now my first reaction was concern over people being able to physically accept Bitcoin even when the law clearly and specifically allows for that. However I then discovered through many sources that Bitcoin acceptance is close to ubiquitous anyway in certain parts of the country. So in short, much of the infrastructure and understanding is already there, thanks to ongoing work over the last few years by passionate groups of people looking to rebalance the 70% of the population who have no access to banking facilities at all. That figure, by the way, came from Bukele himself. But there's a bigger element to this because all businesses are now obliged to accept Bitcoin by early September. So that means that even large foreign businesses who have traditionally had no incentive to experiment with Bitcoin must now accept it. So that includes McDonald's, car dealerships, yes, Elon Musk, that includes Tesla. It also includes Apple stores and just about anything you can think of. So this means that Bitcoin acceptance is not only happening at a state level, Is also happening at a commercial level. If a company such as McDonald's, for example, can do it in El Salvador, because it would after all be difficult for these companies to show they really can't enable acceptance, they can do it literally in any other country. So in short, these organizations are being forced to move along the learning curve in a way that would never have happened if Bukele hadn't forced the issue. If they want to continue trading within the borders, they will have to find a process that works. And of course, once they have it, it seems quite likely that some of them will simply duplicate it in other territories. Some might even proactively use it as a positive public relations spin, directly appealing to the millions of millennials who are both their target audience and, of course, most likely to engage with it. It is a win-win situation. But there's another angle here that I hadn't thought of when I was originally researching this piece. And it was a Forbes writer called Martin Leo Rivers who raised a very interesting point and one that has been overlooked so far. So with credit to Martin, I'm going to quote some sections of his excellent work directly because I think this is worth keeping an eye on. I'll also link to his piece in the show notes. You see, the World Bank was quick to make a statement about El Salvador's use of Bitcoin saying it cannot support the move due to, and I quote, environmental and transparency concerns. Now, of course, both of these things we know to be completely untrue. And frankly, it's a bit rich coming from an organization that has spent $12 billion or 6% of its entire portfolio on fossil fuel based projects in the last six years. Not only that, but thanks to the work of the Bitcoin Mining Council, we can now be pretty certain that somewhere between 56 and 67% of the entire Bitcoin network is powered by carbon free energy. So to put that into context, that makes Bitcoin mining the cleanest industry on the planet. And if it was a country, it would be greener than pretty much every major country. And of course, this is not accounting for the fact that the transparency argument is also ridiculous. Try tracing a US dollar transaction through the banking system. now try tracking the same payment through the open, publicly viewable blockchain that anyone can access from any device at any time. It's absolute nonsense, and either they have no idea how Bitcoin works, in which case they really shouldn't be making public statements about it, or they're relying on other people's ignorance. Either way, they're using it to get off the hook. Or so it seems, because they have a bit of a problem with that. You see, its founding document, the 1944 Articles of Agreement, outlines the procedures and principles by which the World Bank pledges to engage with sovereign governments. A central theme in the document is its commitment to accept payments from other member states in their local currency. Section 12 of Article 5 defines acceptable forms of holding of currency in a way that would include Bitcoin when applied here. But it gets more fascinating, because due to the way the member states' currencies are held, any discrepancy in value when measured against the US dollar must either be made up by the state concerned, or, if the value appreciates, must be handed back by the bank. If El Salvador manages to make its stake in Bitcoin, that could lead to unprecedented repayments should Bitcoin's price appreciate from where it is now. Of course, this is all conjecture. The World Bank may simply refuse to acknowledge it, because after all, who will hold them to task? But these wider implications are fascinating. There's another one here, which is just a small one, but it may also make me think. Most bureaus de charge, for example, hold many global currencies. Now that Bitcoin is the national currency of at least one country, will they therefore provide that too? Now if they had any sense they would of course, but in reality this business model is far less useful than it was say even a decade ago. We can already buy, sell, hold and use Bitcoin through PayPal at any one of thousands of ATMs around the world. We can use our smartphone or any major exchange. It doesn't really matter in real terms, but it's an interesting thought. But anyway, I'm getting a bit carried away here. Let's backtrack a bit. Anybody who is the first to do something merely breaks down the perceived barriers of doing so. It shows that it has always been possible if only you had the will to do it in the first place. So when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile barrier in 1954, he was followed by countless others who now knew for certain that it could be done. Now, Over time, this belief led to improved times, and the current record is 3 minutes, 43 seconds and 13th hundredth of a second set in 1999 by a man whose name is considerably harder to pronounce than Roger Bannister's, but I'll give it a go, with, of course, apologies in advance. Hitcham El Gerage. His time, incidentally, was nearly 16 seconds faster than Bannister's original finish. I think Bitcoin adoption will see the same incremental improvements as other countries follow the same path. It seems certain that other Latin American countries will be first in line with Paraguay, Panama, Brazil, Mexico and Argentina making positive noises about doing it. Other countries such as Tanzania as a topical example have also started to pave the way for a possible Bitcoin adoption of some sort it's likely that many will just simply adopt a wait-and-see approach as the law is implemented learning from the hiccups and unforeseen issues that will almost certainly occur el salvador may very well find itself in a position to provide consultancy services to other sovereign states either directly or through the commercial layer but even el salvador has a proven case study to look at so during his speech man has revealed some incredible numbers Now, according to his data, around 22% of the total GDP of El Salvador is made up of remittances. Now, in other words, 22% of the capital influx of the country is sent from abroad. Since its GDP was last reported as being $24.61 billion in 2020, we can conclude that this figure is about $5.4 billion. Now, most of this comes from the 2,311,574 El Salvadorians who live and work in the US. And this is from the 2019 US Consensus, by the way. Since their native country currently only has a population of 6,517,678, according to worldmeters.info, that means 26% of all nationals live abroad. Yet the most shocking number is the remittance fees. According to both Mallers and Bukele, up to 50% of the total sent of the country from the U.S. is lost to fees. On that worst case basis, somewhere around another $5.4 billion is transferred from some of the poorest people on the planet to the banking system in the U.S. And that is every single year. Bitcoin, as the old saying goes, fixes this. Using Bitcoin, fees drop instantly to a fraction of this and theoretically it means the country can expect to increase its GDP overnight by around 22%, assuming the remittances remain at the same level. That money is simply redirected from the international banking system directly to the pockets of the citizens of El Salvador. Now I did reach out to a few people in El Salvador and just asked them, just a few random samples and asked, did these numbers seem to make sense? And actually, a few of them did feel that they were probably set a bit too high, but they were very expensive to do and would probably benefit the country overall. And here's where the precedent comes in. So according to a speech given recently by Ray Youssef, who's CEO of the peer-to-peer trading platform Paxful, remittances sent to Nigeria via traditional routes dropped from $2.5 billion to just $55 million between January and September 2020. That's a drop of 98.7%, coinciding with the same increase in Bitcoin-based remittances. On the same cost basis, therefore, that's another $2.5 billion moving out of the banking system directly into the pockets of the poorest people on the planet. And remember, this is to a country that is currently intent on making life as difficult as possible for any citizens who want to use Bitcoin. How different will it be in a country where it's not only legal, but actively encouraged? So, naysayers, tell me again, how exactly does Bitcoin have no use case? While all this was going on, reaction to the news by mainstream media was mixed. I was personally contacted by dozens of journalists seeking comment on what I thought about Bitcoin being adopted by an authoritarian regime. Use of the cryptocurrency is, after all, touted as a tool of freedom, and there was some debate about just how free El Salvador actually is. Bukele's removal of certain high-profile lawmakers, something he did fairly early on in his presidency, is an excellent example. For his supporters, it was a necessary move to wipe out corruption, but for his detractors, it was a frightening display of almost totalitarian control. But like most things, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle and asking from El Salvador will render you an answer depending on the lens they view it through. So in short, it's a classic case of one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. The country also suffers from a very high crime rate, although this is broadly falling. It also suffers from inequality and even some suggestions of human rights abuse. One anonymous Redditor posted a warts and all thread about El Salvador that went fully viral as the news was digested. Many agreed with that post, but many also didn't. However this is also a distraction if we take the time to zoom out and look at this objectively. We don't actually need to understand who Bekele is on the scale of dictators, or even if he registers at all, to understand how universally good this could be for the country under any scenario. You see, Bitcoin does not care what sort of economy you run. Your government is irrelevant, as are your officials and richest organisations. Sure, they are free to use it, but Bitcoin is bigger than you. It's bigger than any of us. I would go as far as to say that it's bigger than all of us. So by encouraging its use, you're giving your citizens a degree of financial freedom that even many fully developed Western countries cannot currently offer. So that, in my mind, does not really fit with something an oppressive dictator would do. But of course, I also can see that I'm not qualified to comment since I live many thousands of miles away. So we're left with the idea that either Bukele has an excellent understanding of Bitcoin and has just given his citizens permission to engage openly in a future-proof payment system that will almost certainly be irre- irreversible once started, Or he is a dictator with a woeful understanding who has made a terrible mistake if he thinks he is now going to be able to control the financial activities of his people. Applying Occam's razor, it seems most likely this was done for the reasons we'd all like to believe it was done, that is, for the overall good of the people, country and economy. But one thing is for sure, El Salvador is just the first. Others will definitely follow and they will learn from the implementation errors that will be inevitably made as they always are when something is done for the first time. Next time it will happen more quickly and more easily. It is also a perfect case study, a small self-contained example of just a few million people. But at the same time, it is an entire state-level ecosystem neatly packaged for the implementation of a turnkey solution. In some ways, many of us would be tempted to consider El Salvador a little backwards when compared to our advanced, tech-driven, abundant and relatively crime-free societies. Yet, Bitcoin use for daily transactions, especially via the Lightning Network, is commonplace. Many of their citizens know how to use it, account for it and secure it better than you or me. So make no mistake, they are true pioneers and in every sense of the word. And of course, if we're not successful, we might find that one day we'll be playing catch-up to the El Salvadorians. Thanks for listening today. If you've got any comments or questions on this podcast, please message me on Twitter at Jason A. Dean, or if you'd like to know more on the subject of Bitcoin and finance in general, then join me on Medium at jasonadean.medium.com. Don't forget the E at the end of dean when you're typing that in or you won't find me. Now, I promise you £10 worth of Bitcoin at the start of this podcast and here are the details you need. All you need to do is open your newly installed Luno app and type in the code I'm about to give you. Remember, if you are an existing customer or you've been using Luno for a while, you won't be able to claim this. This is designed for people who are just getting started and are maybe not quite sure yet. Just want a little bit of money to play with and learn how to use it. Now, you must verify your new account first, which is quite easy to do through the app. Luna, as you would expect, complies with anti-money laundering regulations, so that's something you have to do first, like you have to do on all financial apps these days. And you do that by going to Profile, Settings, Verification, and it's the usual mugshot and ID, and it's often processed within a couple of minutes. I'd also suggest you agree to marketing, at least in the beginning anyway, as Luna will give you the option to attend one of their free webinars It might even be one I'm doing where you can learn all about Bitcoin and most importantly ask any questions directly as every session includes an open AMA section at the end. But anyway, once you've done your verification, and you only have to do it once, of course, you just go to the section called rewards at the bottom of the screen, press the enter a code button, and type in the following PDUK22X. That's PAPA, Delta, Uniform, Kilo, 22X ray. And well, that's it. Your £10 in Bitcoin will be credited instantly. If you're in Europe, it will be the equivalent of £10 and you can use that just to play with the app and explore it but of course if you can buy it you can buy more bitcoin easily once you're set up and you can go from there don't forget you can also earn 3.5 percent interest on your crypto by moving it to the savings wallet built into the app which is of course about three and a half percent more than you can get in the bank right now t's and c's apply when saving and you can check those out when you first transfer over so i'll leave that with you and i'll see you next time on the bitcoin and global finance podcast